life when I was a, a young person. And now as a church, it's our opportunity to extend that to uh, the teens in this area and the teens from our church. And we look forward to God's help and blessing on the teen ministry. John 12 is our text today, John chapter 12, 1 through 11. And if you've been with us, uh, we've been working our way through John, the Gospel of John, uh, verse by verse, and uh, it's quite a progression. As we reach John 12, we're, we're in a new chapter, not just a chapter in the book, but a new phase in the book of John, and that is the final week of Jesus' life. And if you study the Gospels, major sections of the Gospels are given over to this final week of Christ. Um, there's different ones that record different stories, but there's certain ones that all four record. And all four go into great detail in the week, this final week of Christ, the week of his crucifixion, and then also after that his resurrection. And these are the centerpieces of our faith. They're the core reason Jesus came to earth. So there's a reason why great... Uh, detail and great repetition is made in the scripture about these events. In fact, John almost gives 50% of his book to this point until Jesus ascends to heaven. And so um, we're going to be looking at verse 12 down, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 1 through 11, and we'll be reading these verses together. Stand if you're able for the reading of God's word, and we'll pray, and then you can be seated one more time. John 12, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly ointment of spikenard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? He said this, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag, and bore what was put in it. Then Jesus said, Leave her alone. She has kept this in preparation for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Therefore many of the people of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not only for Jesus' sake, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might also put Lazarus to death, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I praise you that we have your word. I thank you for this record of what happened these many years ago. And Lord, I pray that the truths of this passage would connect with every heart. For any soul that is here outside of Christ, outside of faith, would you draw them to saving faith today? For those your children who, who love you, I pray that your uh, spirit would encourage them in their love and that would prompt them to grow in their love and to see that worship and, uh, and giving and service, that these are uh, worthy of you, that you're a God who is worthy to be loved and worshiped and served and sacrificed for. I pray that these uh, scriptures would bear fruit in our hearts. Use it in my life as well. 
and may you be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When I was a young person, my mom would haul me off to the mall sometimes, and I know some people like malls and some people don't, and apparently less and less people like malls because they say that they're closing and having a hard time, some of them anyway. But we would go to the mall, and uh, she would shop for this or that, and when I got older, I would be able to go around by myself. And I remember walking down the hallways of the malls, and of course there's different stores with different ads and different offerings and buy this, buy that. But there was this one store that you knew it was there before you reached it. Because as you were walking down the aisle of the mall, you smelled it. And that store, some of you might have a guess what store that might be, that store is Bath and Body Works. And you can smell it before you even reach it, and it is powerful. And when you go in there, it's this mix of about 4,000 smells in one spot, and it's rather overpowering. Um, there's also other stores, some of the department stores in the malls, where you wouldn't smell the whole store, but when you got to a certain area, you could smell the makeup and the perfume section, and they would have these little cards, and you could spray the card, and you could smell it. And um, sometimes they would you know, let you test it out, put it on your skin or whatnot, and then the rest of the day, you would have that odor with you. Today, uh, it's at Bath and Body Works, they would have sales for three for $10, and it's a rather affordable place to get some good smell going on. The department stores, it was usually a little more expensive, you know. These days, $100, $150 for some of the little nicer, uh, more long-lasting perfumes. But I don't know that uh, any of us can really understand the power of the smell that's talked about in the passage. Because when this is poured out, this is a whole pound of very concentrate, very powerful perfume or oil that's given in the passage. And the smell would have permeated the house. It would have stayed around Jesus for days. And in a time where people didn't have showers in their homes, these were a very important and helpful thing to have around. Before we jump d deep into this story, I want to look at the final verses. We'll look at verse 9 through 11 briefly and just say a couple things and then we'll get into the story. But um, this section is the final week of Jesus' life. It says six days before the Passover. That is the Passover where Jesus would die on the cross. So in verse 9, it tells us many of the Jews knew that he was there and came, not only for Jesus' sake, but also that they might see Lazarus. This miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead had caused many people to come, to look, to listen, to wonder, and to say, what is, what is going on? It is not every day, it is not ever in my life that people are being raised from the dead. Lazarus had been raised, and so not only was Jesus drawing people in, but Lazarus is drawing people in, and people are coming to see this person. I imagine they wanted to talk to him. They probably had some questions. What was that like? What, what happened on the other side? You know, tell us, tell us more about, uh, and I don't know, maybe he, uh, maybe he talked, maybe he was very quiet. You know, the scripture never records one word from Lazarus's mouth. Uh, so we don't know what he told them, okay? But they're, they're coming and they're looking and they're wondering, and verse 10 tells us the chief priests consulted that they might also put Lazarus to death because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Now you have to think through the logic here. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And the best option they can come up with is to kill him. I don't know if you've thought that through, but if Jesus raised him from the dead, how is it that killing him could be a final answer? Couldn't he raise him from the dead again? 
He raised him once. Couldn't he raise him a second time? But that was all they had. You know, once someone has the power over death, they, they pretty much have everything at their disposal. So they say, oh, you know, uh, let's try to kill him. He's, he's uh, uh, undermining us. And that last phrase says, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. This was a powerful miracle. And people were turning away. It says they went away. They went away from these chief priests. They went away from their authorities. And they're listening to Jesus. Some are believing in Jesus. And you can see that these chief priests, they're saying, we are losing the power over these people. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? How can we stop him? They were already trying to kill Jesus. Now they're talking about killing Lazarus. And these are the people that teach the law of God. And the most basic of the law of God is the Ten Commandments, which says thou shalt not kill, right? Don't be killing, don't be murdering people. And yet, once they start wanting to kill Jesus, then now they're willing to kill Lazarus. And once you start crossing these lines, it's amazing how the bodies can start piling up, isn't it? You know, uh, sin can take us further than we think. And these, these uh, chief priests, they seem very intent on doing whatever it took to stop the Lord Jesus. Let's pick up in verse 1 now, and I want to look at this story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet. This is such a beautiful and a wonderful passage, uh, an excellent story that, that helps us a great deal. This is a very strange story for us. If someone came and started putting things on your feet in a room full of people, you would say, what, what on earth is going on? This is very, very strange. It was also strange in their day in certain ways. In some ways it was not, in other ways it was. We'll talk about that a little bit as we go forward. But I want us to pay attention. We'll go through the story uh, briefly and then we'll look at the three major characters. And pay attention to Mary, pay attention to Judas, and of course, pay attention to Jesus, okay? So verse one says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. They uh, come to this place of Bethany, and weeks, a few weeks earlier, maybe two, three, four weeks earlier, Jesus had come and had raised Lazarus out of that tomb. And I, I don't know this for sure. It could be that after Jesus raised Lazarus that he immediately left. And this could be maybe the first time he's seen them since. Now, you remember, if you were here uh, last few weeks, you can remember how thankful Mary and Martha would have been to see Jesus come Come. First of all, they were uh, burdened. But then when Lazarus came out of that grave, they would have been so thrilled that their brother was resurrected and given back. And now, several weeks later, Jesus has come to town. There is a special meal in Jesus' honor. And Mary is there, and Martha is there, and Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead, was also there. Verse 2 says, There they made him a supper. And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those that sat at the table with him. Martha is often serving in the Bible. We find Martha serving in another famous passage where Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet learning and Martha is serving. Uh, we also find Lazarus sitting at the table. If you can put this picture together, it's probably Jesus and the men. And in that culture, the men would eat together and the women would eat together. And so Martha is serving and it says Lazarus is sitting at this table and people have come, friends have come, and there is a feast. Now, I don't know the last time you had a feast, but when you have a feast, you don't serve leftover macaroni and cheese, right? You serve something nice. They've probably killed an animal, and they're serving their best, and this is a meal in honor of Jesus. And so this isn't just a, you know, sitting around the kitchen table 
throwing it down to run off. This is a laid-back meal. This is a special meal. In our day and time, it would be, you know, candles and music and, you know, it would have been a big deal. And there's a room full of men and Lazarus is there and Jesus is there and the disciples are there. Maybe there was multiple tables and they would be reclining. And as they reclined and feasted, they're sort of at an angle and their feet are all to the outside. And this room of men is where Mary enters in. And I want to start off by saying that this is a very personal, this is a very personal uh, thing that she does. When we, uh, the personal nature of this, her hair, his feet, um, this is, this is something that is unusual. Okay, so verse 3 tells us, then Mary took a pound of very costly ointment of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. She comes to Jesus' feet and she takes this very costly ointment and she pours it on his feet. And then she wipes off the excess with her hair. The Jewish women would keep their hair pulled up and covered up. And so here in this room full of men enters Mary. And she goes right to Jesus And she begins to pour this very expensive ointment all over his feet. I imagine that the conversation stopped. I imagine that everyone kind of looked and said, what is this? What is she doing here? And then they smelled it, right? And then the smell filled the room. And I think everyone that was there knew that this was not some Bath and Body Works item. This was something very expensive to them. We'll talk about that in a minute. And she touches his feet. If you study the other passages of Mary, you know where you find Mary? At the feet of Jesus. The the text where Mary and Martha were with Jesus, Martha was serving, and it says Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, learning. Then in John 11, uh, just a few weeks ago, we talked about how Mary ran to meet Jesus outside of the village. And when she ran to meet Jesus, the Bible says she fell at his feet. And she was weeping, saying, oh, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. And now in this passage, we again find Mary, where? At the feet of Jesus. You probably know this, but feet are not the most pleasant, wonderful thing. Feet get dirty, feet get smelly, and uh, especially in their culture, they would have sandals. And so the feet would be trekking all over the ground, and dirt and sweat and stink would be on these feet. And she's taking the the lowest portion of him and she's putting to it her most valuable thing, this pound of ointment. You know, it's not not, um, that common for this sort of thing to be done to the feet. If other people had ointment, if other people were going to be anointed with ointment, you know where they would be anointed? In their head. If you remember Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil, right? And so... Uh, the head is the place where this would take place. And here Mary goes straight to his feet and she pours this on his feet and then she takes her hair, probably one of the most valuable parts of a woman's body, and she begins to clean his feet and to wipe and dry his feet with her hair. You can tell that this is a very personal thing. This is a very touching and a powerful thing. And you can tell that Mary is simply declaring She loves Jesus. She loves him. She treasures him. Jesus is valuable to her. 
And I mentioned earlier at the end of verse 3, it says the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. The house, is, the, the house is filled and the ointment and the smell, everyone around can, can smell this. It's powerful. And Mary has given this to Jesus and now everyone knows that she has given this. You know, there are some times where someone would give something to Jesus very privately, very secretly, you know, here's some of this, and no one would ever know. But this is a different situation. Mary is doing this and it is known to everyone. These men see it. Everyone can smell it. And I don't know if you thought about this, but as Jesus would go on his way, that smell would go with him. And because this was powerful, it was not something that would just be gone in an hour. This is high concentrate. One whole pound was put on his feet. And so this smell would have been upon him for days, for days. And we'll talk about even how long it could have remained with him based on what he says a little bit later. Last, we want to see the pennies involved, and uh, I say last for this introduction section. The, um, the pennies involved, I'm sorry, the public display. Here we have the public display. Everyone knew this. And then down to verse 7, I'm sorry, verse, um, get my, there we go. Verse 3 says, very costly ointment. Verse 5 says, this ointment was not sold for 300 pence. All right, so here's the pennies involved. This item would have been sourced from China or from Nepal or from India, and it would have been brought on camels, and it was very, very expensive. Even in that location, it wasn't just freely available. It was only up on the highest mountains, and it was a certain sort of plant that had roots, and they would go harvest these roots, they would crush them, they would gather the oil out of these roots, and it was a lot of work, and it was somewhat rare, and it would be transported many, many miles, and it would be sold. Now, we read 300 pence, and you might hold up three George Washington bills and say, $3 doesn't sound a whole lot to me. Well, the word pence there is in their currency, not ours. And in Matthew 20, there's a story about uh, coins and about the coin, this pence or this denarii that's referenced here. This coin would have been one day's work for a good wage, for a, a Roman soldier would have earned one of these coins for one day's worth of work. So for a Roman soldier, this would have meant how many days of work? 300 days of work. For a more common person who didn't make as much as a Roman soldier, this could be 400, 500, 800, 900 days of work. And so we're talking about a year, two, three years of income. Do the math. Do the math. How much is one or two or three years of your income? Can you imagine taking your bank account and saying, you know what, I'm going to buy this ointment and I'm going to pour it all on Jesus' feet. Wow. Now we don't have Jesus physically here. He makes that point known. But we see that Mary is doing something that is shocking. This is astounding to the people. They're saying, how on earth? Why, why would you pour all of it? I mean, maybe just pour some of it, right? Why would you pour all of it on Jesus' feet? But it's very clear that this was a costly and an expensive gift from Mary to Jesus. Now, I also want us to see the, pro the prophetic meaning. Verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone. She has kept this in preparation for the day of my burial. For the day of my burial. This is a beautiful... Uh, thought, and that, that's this. Mary knew that Jesus was going to be buried. 
she had listened to what Jesus was teaching and saying. And if you read through the Gospels and you put it all in order and see the development, Jesus started telling his disciples, telling his followers, I'm going up to die. I'm going up to die. A lot of them didn't believe him. A lot of them didn't want to believe it. But I think there's two people in the passage that really, really knew that Jesus was going to die. One is Mary and the other one is Judas. We'll get to him in a minute. But Jesus says, she's done this for my burial. And it's six days from when he's going to be crucified. And Jesus says, no, no, no. She has done this for my burial. This ointment was used in, in burial and in preparation of the body before being put into the earth. And he says, she's kept this. She's kept this for my burial. Now, if you, if you remember the story, her brother had just been resurrected from the grave, right? And I wonder if anything was put on his body. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But we do know that her brother had just died weeks before, and she still has this pound of ointment. She still possesses this pound of ointment. She didn't pour it out on her brother. Maybe she had some other that she used. Maybe nothing was put on her brother. We don't know. But verse 7 says she has kept this. In other words, she had it, she kept it, and she waited until the right time, and then she put it on Jesus' feet. It was the week that he would be crucified. Jesus is going to be killed, but he is going to be buried. And she is honoring the body of Jesus. And she is trusting what Jesus is saying, that he is going to die. And she says, I will give my most precious, valuable possession, so that when Jesus enters that grave, he will smell good. Wow. Mary saw something the other people didn't see. She understood and received some things that others did not understand and did not receive. And it means something to me that it says she kept this. She has kept this. She didn't use it before. She kept it until now. I want to look now at the people that are involved. And here we're going to look at these three main characters. Now, quickly, in Martha, we find service. And we'll just uh, mention that one more time. Martha is serving. It says that in verse 2. And uh, service and worship are both important. Um, we find that in other passages as well. So we don't exalt one over the other per se, but we just say they're both important. And in chapter 11, we find Martha full of faith in her response to Jesus. So sometimes Martha is kind of minimized because she served, um, and, and I don't see it quite, quite that way. Service and worship are both important. Jesus did say that uh, worship uh, must happen. It must be first, and he makes that clear. Secondly, we find Lazarus here in fellowship at the table there with them, and then in Mary, we find her worship. I want you to think for a moment about Judas and Mary and how at this point in John, there's been all this talk about belief and faith in Christ, and trusting in Christ. And what we have here at John 12 is we have a strong, strong declaration of a believer who said, I love Jesus, I trust in Jesus, uh, I'm going to give my best to Jesus, and even though I know he's going to die, I'm going to pour out my most valuable possession upon him. That's Mary. And then on the other hand, you have Judas, and Judas is the one who has walked with Jesus, who has, Jesus has given him power, and authority, and has given him the control of the finances, and he is a trusted, respected person. And yet in the passage, we find Jesus, or Judas, excuse me, 
criticizing. And there's quite a contrast between these two. In, in Mary, we find Mary as the giver, and we find Judas as the taker, right? Judas is stealing, Mary is giving. We find Mary here as the lover. She loves Jesus with all his heart, her heart. But Judas is the hater. He hates the Lord. He hates this worship of Jesus that takes place. And what a contrast. We find that Mary values Jesus and Judas devalues Jesus. We find that Mary is spiritual and Judas is carnal. We find that Mary is timid, but she bravely stepped out to, to worship. Judas was arrogant and should have stood down. Mary obeyed the first commandment, but Judas disobeyed the tenth commandment and the first commandment. Let's start with Judas. Let's look at him a little more deeply. Judas is the unbelieving critic. Let's look at the verse, verse 4. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son who would betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? He said this, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bore what was put in it. Judas says this is a horrible way to use this valuable thing. This thing should have been sold and should have been given to the poor. The, this anointing, this type of anointing had happened before, and it would happen again, the way I put all the passages together. Three times I understand it. And in one of the other passages, one of the other accounts, it, he uses the word waste. Why was this waste made? And, and just think about this. Mary had taken her most valuable thing, a year or two years worth of her wages, and she had poured it out on Jesus very publicly and very deeply with love. And now Judas is saying, what a horrible way to spend your money. What a horrible thing to do. This should have been given to the poor. The unbelieving critic is upset with Mary. He thinks it's a waste. But you know, the Bible says his motive was not truly for the poor, was it? His motive was for himself because he managed the money and he was wanting to get his hands on some of that money. And so Judas is coming at this very, very differently. But think about what he says. You know, Judas isn't so bold as just to say, you should have given that to me. Right? Judas doesn't say that. No, he says it should have been given to the poor. He, he points out and he says, the poor could have been helped with this. And you know, I was thinking about why, why does he say the poor? Why does he think of the poor? Why does he choose that? Well, okay, let's think of some really other, some other choices. You know, Judas didn't say, you should have uh, gambled this at the chariot race this weekend. Like, he didn't say that. Why? That would be crazy because that's, a, that's not a good use of money, right? Uh, he, he didn't say, you should just go traveling and spend it up, right? He didn't say that. He said, you need to use it on something else that is good. Is giving to the poor good? Yes, it is. Giving to the poor is good. Judas here is saying, you should not have done that for Jesus. You should have done this other good thing with it. And what he's going after is, and we all see this as we go through life, there are different good things we can do, right? There's many good things we can do. We have um, different pieces of our life, our job, our families, our spouse, maybe we have neighbors, right? We have a lot of different people in our life and different things in our life that are good things, very good things. And to give money to the poor is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. 
But Judas is saying Jesus is not worthy of that. The poor should have that. And he's criticizing her most precious gift. I don't believe in the rest of her life Mary ever did anything like this for anyone else. This is a special moment for her. Maybe you've had a moment in your life where someone criticized you publicly and you were really trying to do the best you knew. You know how hard that is? You know how painful that hurts? Mary's experiencing this public shaming from Judas. And Judas is pointing the finger. And Judas is scheming. And Judas, with his evil heart, is down-talking her gift. Let me encourage you, Christian. In your love for God, there will be people that will shake their head at you. They will say, oh, that's crazy. Ah, that's, that's crazy. You go to church, all the, you go to church that much? You, you give that much? Um, man, you, you read the Bible that much? That's just way too much time to, 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 to do all that stuff. I mean, uh, my grandmother, she, was, she told me one time, she said, um, in, in a letter I wrote, she said, sometimes people just get too much religion. She said, they, they just, you know, you need just a little bit of religion in our life. And the idea is you, you just need a little piece of Jesus and then that's it. And um, I don't think Mary was kind of taking that approach in the text. I don't think she was saying, you know, I'm just going to just going to give him a little drop of this box. No, she gave everything. And here Judas is wagging the finger, criticizing. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. The unbelieving critic. There will be there will be voices in your life that will say you should not give that much to God. What or who in your life? is calling you to value something other than Jesus, more than Jesus. Um, Judas here was a disciple of Jesus. He was a respected person. He was a person who was trusted. And now he turns to Mary and says, you shouldn't have done that. And you know, these, I believe in that very moment, Mary's heart was just broken. It was a broken heart. Why? Dear God, I've given you the best I have, and, and now he's publicly shaming me for it. But each one of us, at some point in our life, if we live for Jesus, if we love Jesus, if we sacrifice for Jesus, there will be someone who will say, that's crazy, that's silly, that's ridiculous, that's a, that's a fantasy, whatever they want to say. And there will be critics that will point out and say, that is a waste. And you know what we need to do? The good news for us is that there's people that will criticize and will say you shouldn't value Jesus so much. Those people speak to us, but I'm thankful that in Christ we have someone else who speaks to us. And that leads me to this section here with Jesus. Jesus is the reassuring master. Jesus is the reassuring master. I am so thankful that Jesus didn't leave Mary hanging. Look at verse 7. Then Jesus said, leave her alone. She has kept this in preparation for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus reassures Mary publicly. He stands up for her and he says, you be quiet. You leave her alone. You don't understand. The poor will still be here when I'm gone. The needs will still be here when I'm gone. But after a few days, I'm going to be gone. This is a one time, this is a special moment for her. And you are not going to take it away from her. I hope that you can hear or see or sense the smile of Jesus as you serve him, as you worship him, as you love him. Your neighbors or your family or your coworkers may look and say, you're crazy. 
but you also need to hear the voice of Jesus saying, he loves me. I see that. I rejoice in your gift. I rejoice in your love. I take your worship and I smile and I joy in it. If you start listening to those critics more than you listen to Jesus, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in big trouble. And I'm so thankful that Jesus says, oh no, no, you leave her alone. And he points out this day of the burial. And I don't really know of, and maybe I hadn't thought this through enough, but I don't know of any other character that before the cross knew and acted upon their knowledge of the fact that Jesus would be in the grave. Mary here has been listening to Jesus, and she's been paying attention to Jesus, and she honors him at this specific moment. And Jesus says, this is the time. This is the moment. And he accepts her worship. He accepts her love. He accepts her sacrifice. So the, the question here for us is, can you hear can you sense, can you know the comforting reassurances of Jesus as you worship and serve him? Sometimes as people worship and as people serve, um, we get our focus off the one that we are worshiping and serving, right? The one that we are loving and sacrificing for. And, uh, you know, I've been a pastor for 13 years and I've sensed it in my own heart at times. You know, as a pastor, sometimes I think uh, subconsciously perhaps that I come to church to serve the people of God. Well, that's true. That, that's not false. That is true. But that's not my number one reason for coming to church, is it? Sometimes people, uh, you know, they say, well, you're the pastor, so, so you have to be there. Well, there's a sense in which that's true, you know. I am, I'm the pastor. I kind of have to be here. But I don't just come or I shouldn't come just because I have to be here. I'm the pastor, right? Why do I come to church? I come to worship and to know God, to love Him, to praise Him, to draw closer to Him, right? We come him and as we keep the the main thing the main thing it helps to push aside the other criticisms and the other challenges that come our way we do what we do for jesus so can you hear that comforting reassurance of jesus as you worship as you serve him do it for him this will help us a great deal and then lastly we have mary the sacrificing worshiper and she, of course, is the center character outside of Christ in the story here. This is Mary, the sacrificing worshiper. I think it took a lot of courage to do this. To step into that room full of men, to take down her hair. And you know, this box that we've talked about, this box, this container, this ointment, we don't know precisely how she had earned it and what its true meaning to her was. But some women, some women um, would keep their finances in this sort of way as savings. And in that day and time, for a woman to be married, there had to be a dowry paid to the here husband's father. A dowry was paid. And if we read in the New Testament, we find there's Lazarus, there's Mary, there's Martha, there's never any comment about their parents. And we understand them to be adults, and I tend to think that her parents were dead and gone. And so she has this dowry, this valuable item. It was, again, we don't know her wealth status, but she had this one valuable thing. And it could have been that she was pouring out her hopes of ever getting married onto Jesus' feet. And in that moment, she was just saying, my love for you, Jesus, is perfect. When you love Jesus passionately and when you put the Lord first, it makes some people uncomfortable. 
it makes some people feel a certain way as though they sense a contrast. And Judas, the one who hated Jesus, he immediately began to criticize. But Mary was simply pouring out her love upon Jesus. She was doing this with purity of heart, with purity of motive, and it was the right timing. She's giving her all to Jesus, and Judas is there to criticize. But you know, at the end of the story, what is the end of the story? Well, remember how I said that that smell would have stayed on Jesus? The next day, Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And you know, his feet smell good on that donkey. And you know, a couple days later, Jesus is going to lay at another feasting table with his 12 disciples, and there's going to be the Last Supper. And his feet smell good at that Last Supper. And then a day later, his feet are going to be nailed to a cross. And I wonder if the Roman soldiers that beat that pike into his feet could smell that smell still. I don't know how many days it lasted, but Jesus said she did it for my burial. And one week later, Judas would be dead, and Jesus would be just about to be alive, in that moment, Mary didn't regret her choice. Did Judas regret his? Oh, absolutely. He regretted, he regretted his with tears. And this is what you and I need is this longer perspective. Because in that moment of Judas shaming, Mary's like, oh, oh, I, I think I did the wrong. I think I did the wrong thing. And sometimes in our heart, we might think, oh, uh, maybe I shouldn't have uh, lo loved Jesus this way. Or maybe I'm not loving others enough or whatever. And and in that moment, we feel that, that guilt or that, that shame. But when the story develops further, it's very evident that Mary made the right choice. Mary didn't make the wrong choice. She made the right choice. And can I remind us that as the story goes a little further in our life, as our lives unfold, and if not in this life, certainly in the life to come, we will recognize, hey, loving Jesus was the best thing I did. To give my all to him, to love him, to sacrifice for him, that is worth it. Judas says, oh, wrong thing. But Jesus smiles and says, you leave her alone. She loves me. What is it that Jesus wants you to give to him? What is your costly gift to Jesus? You know, when we talk about cost, our minds immediately go to money. Money, money, money. I don't know how she got the money for this item that she owned. I don't know if she saved very slowly for it. I don't know if it was inherited. I don't know how she came to obtain this. The point is not, do you have what Mary had or do you have what someone else has? The point is, each of us has something that we treasure dear. Each of us has something or things that we love very dearly. And you know, I'm a proud parent of four children. I love my children. I'm a, uh, a husband. I love uh, deeply my wife. And uh, I love this church, and I love my country, and we have these other loves, and that is good and right. But do you know what the Bible says? The chief command of man is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul, to love God first. And each of us has something costly that we can give to him. And it may indeed be specifically money, but it also may be time, and it may be energy, and it may be prayers, and it may even be relationships, whatever it is, we say, I give this to you, dear God, to do with it what you will. 
that it would show my, my love for you, my heart for you, I did this to you. What is your costly gift to Jesus? Some people may not understand. They may not agree with what you choose. But if you're doing it for Christ, if you're doing it out of love for Him, what does that mean? It means that Jesus receives that gift. It means that you are indeed following the chief command that God has given to us as humans. And it means that we receive the smile and the defense and the approval of our God. Judas called it a waste, but Judas was wrong. If you're giving something to God today in your life, maybe this is a daily thing. It's not a one-time thing. Maybe this is an ongoing thing. You're giving this to the Lord. And you feel like, man, maybe this isn't worth it. Maybe this isn't. Maybe this isn't. Is Jesus even hearing this? Is Jesus even seeing this? Let me encourage you. Our Lord sees your love. He sees your worship. He sees the sacrifices you make. If you do it for him, there will be a day where he rewards, where he smiles upon you. That day is going to matter much more than this day. And that's the day I want to live for. I hope you too. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. This is our time of response to the message, to the preaching. And um, today was mainly tailored for the heart and for those who have trusted Christ. And if you have questions about receiving Christ or forgiveness, I want to be very clear that we have information available. It's not through giving. Um, Salvation is actually a free gift that is received. And so giving to the Lord to go to heaven is not, uh, not going to help you, and it's actually counterproductive. But as a Christian, if you've received Christ, if you know him personally by faith, I don't ask you to do anything for me. Don't do anything for this church or for me or anything based on what I myself have said. But rather, I ask you to look at the text, look at the message, and ask God this question. What is that costly thing? What is that precious item? What is that one thing that I love that I need to give over to you? To lay it at your feet. To say, dear Jesus, this is yours. Whatever you want to do with this will be just fine with me. You deal with Jesus. You respond. You pray. And uh, we'll have a closing word prayer in just a moment.